Hey guys, this is Tyler Padgett. I'm the lead pastor of the Courageous Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. And my hope is that this podcast encourages you, that it builds your faith, and that it pushes you to make a difference. You can join us in person on the weekends, Sundays at 9.30 and 11, at any one of our locations across the Ozarks. Check out our social media pages to find a campus near you. I believe you're listening today for a reason. Let's do this. Turn up the volume and let's go. All right, so we're in a series called It Takes Courage. And, uh, and so we've been walking through the Gospel of John, just like Miles said. Miles, you did an amazing job. I don't know where you are, but you did an amazing job this morning. Uh, so we've heard a couple messages in this series lately. And so I want to kind of recap us before we get into the word on today. So last week, Pastor Roger Yaden came and he preached to us in the book of John about the man at the pool of Bethesda and who needed healing. And he was who some people would call the wrong man, but he ended up in the right place and he got something from God because he was in the wrong. He was in the right place at the right time. All right. Now, before that, we heard from Pastor Tyler, who taught us on uh, Jesus being the light. And specifically, that was, uh, that was in chapter 7, 8, and that's kind of where I want to pick up. I want to go with that today. And so in chapter 8, uh, we are at a section where Jesus is at what we would call the Festival of Booths or Festival of Tabernacles. And they held this festival because it was a commemoration ceremony, essentially, that Jesus had taken care, that God had taken care of their ancestors in a period of time where they felt like they were in the wilderness because they, they were in the wilderness. And so they did this celebration, this commemoratory thing called the Festival of Boots or Tabernacles, where they would light these candles. And they would come together, and the lighting of the candles was representative of the fact that in the darkness, Jesus guided them, or God gave them a light to guide them along the way. And so that's where we are right now. And so Jesus has taught to them that, you know, he's walking around, he's like, these lights is cute. Okay, but Jesus is like, I am, that's me. I am the light. And so y'all around here lighting lights, trying to like light your way. But what you don't understand is that I am God in the flesh. He is me. We is us. And I am the light of the word. As a matter of fact, I am God. I am the living word. I am the same God that in Genesis 1 spoke the world into existence out of nothing. And actually, I spoke myself into existence because in verse 3 of chapter 1, I said, let there be light. And boom, there I was. And so Jesus is teaching, they are at the lights, with the light, and many come to believe in him. And so we're going to start right there. And listen, Southside, I didn't come to start nothing today, but I don't know how things are going to pop off, okay? And, and I'm saying it because the conversation that we're going to unpack today is so disruptive. There is name-calling, <laughs> There is uh, uh, digs at mamas and daddies. There are uh, challenges against theology. There are racial slurs in this and death threats. So I don't know if any of that's going to pop off in the room today, but just know I'm from the north side, so I'm ready to regulate if that's something. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to go. I'm just going to teach the word of God today, all right? So I want you to know that the word of God today is for everybody, but... I'm only asking you to apply the word today if you believe in Jesus, okay? And so I don't want us to take for granted that for the people who were listening to Jesus' teaching, that believing in him was a pretty big deal at this point because Jesus' public ministry 
has very likely caused him to go viral around the town. And so if, if Jesus was teaching in Springfield, it's very likely that at this point he has probably ended up on uh, WT uh, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot Springfield. I don't know if any of y'all are in that Facebook group, okay? All right, I'm not, because y'all not going to see my name next to it. It'd be like, Pastor Brandon is a no, no, no. But Jesus' ministry has probably gone viral. I mean, it, probably stuff like, uh, uh, um, probably stuff like lunatic plays in the dirt with woman who is half naked, who has cheated on her husband. That's Jesus' ministry. It's probably stuff being posted like, crazy man down at the pool touches a man who's sitting in his own feces and tell him to get out and don't come back. That's Jesus' ministry at this point. Jesus' ministry probably is going wild on the internet for stuff like a Jew allows four times divorced woman into faith community, starts a desegregation campaign. That's Jesus' ministry. And so he's not gaining fans, but somehow he is gaining followers. But following Jesus comes at a cost. And so that's what we're going to pick up today. And so John 8, we got a lot of scripture to read today. All right. So we're going to read the Bible today. And so Northside, if you got your notes and your Bibles, let's head to John chapter 8. And we're going to pick up at verse 31. And so Jesus has just taught about the light. And it says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, it's important to know that Jesus is not talking to who we know as the 12 disciples, because we see that word disciple, we think 12 disciples. He's not talking to them. He's talking to new believers with baggage. And essentially, Jesus is saying, if you're going to come with me, you're going to have to let go of carrying what you've cultivated, because if you do, you're not going to get very far. Because you're carrying the truth that you've cultivated and the truth has you trapped. And the story goes on in verse 33. Jesus says, or they answered Jesus in verse 33. We are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And they did not understand, much like us sometimes, the context of what Jesus is teaching. And so verse 34, Jesus answers them and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And Jesus was essentially saying, which I want you to understand is that you have allowed sin to become your master. And when sin is your master, you say yes, even though you don't want to, because you're just obeying the master. And so we build habits, not of intentional sin, but obligatory yes to our master of sin. And Jesus goes on in verse 36 and says, so if, no, verse 35 he breaks this down. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And Jesus is helping them to see that sin has no loyalty to you. Sin is using you. You are disposable to sin. And 36, Jesus goes on to say, so 
If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. <laughs> and so he, he, loops back, he loops back to this, um, this family heritage situation, all right? And he says in verse 37, I know you are offsprings of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now, this is important because what I had to remind myself as I was studying is that this is not the first time Jesus has tried to teach them about who he is as their father. And so Jesus has a death threat out on his life at this point. Okay? Jesus is teaching. There's an, they're trying to execute him everywhere he goes. And y'all, Jesus starts throwing jabs at their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham. Jesus starts picking a fight. And on top of that, Jesus picks a fight, and then he says, my words find no place in you. So Jesus says, y'all are so full of it that your heart and your mind have no space for my words. In verse 38, Jesus goes on to say, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, wait a minute. Abraham is our father. And Jesus was like, I'm over this 23 and me foolishness. Listen, uh, if, you, if you were Abe's children, you would be doing the works like Abe did. But you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abe did. And so we've heard lots of Abraham, and if you're, you're new at a faith, you're like, well, I don't even know what this Abraham thing is all about, so I'll catch you up really quick. The, so the context of the people he was teaching to, Abraham was essentially what they would call the father of their faith. God had gave Abraham a blessing to bless him and make nations come out of them, and so they were descendants. You know how some of us hold true to our great, 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 great grandfather and their legacy and their heritage? That's what they were doing. They were holding on to something and someone that they thought significant into their life. And Jesus is saying, listen, I I know Abe, I know y'all, uh-uh. Y'all not acting like y'all related to, to Abe. Because verse 41, Jesus goes on to say, you are actually doing the works that your father did. Okay. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. Y'all, this was a low dig at Jesus because the rumor was Mary and Joseph wasn't married when, G when they had Jesus. And so they low blowing at Jesus. They're like, we know who our daddy is. You don't even know it. Joseph is your daddy. <laughs> and so 42, Jesus said to them, listen, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not from my own accord, but he sent me. And so verse 43 goes on to say, why do you not understand what I say? And Jesus said, it's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. And I stopped reading. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> Y'all, truth is confrontational. Jesus says, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth, and there is no truth 
in him. And y'all pay attention because the next part of this verse is the most decisive testimony for the objective personality of the devil. Jesus says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. I need you to know that the lie is the core character of the devil. He is the deceiver who was so deceptive, he deceived himself. Like, the devil is not a red-horned demon that jumps on your shoulder. He is a voice that manipulates the sound of your voice. And because he was there from the beginning, he's been with you from the beginning, and he knows your voice. And because he has been listening to all of the things that you have done, he's gotten real good at deceptive ventriloquism. Was that me? Wait, who was that? Was that me? He has gotten so good at deceptive ventriloquism, you don't even know what he sounds like because he sounds just like you. And Jesus goes on in verse 45 and says, but because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. <laughs> so which of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? And Jesus answers his own question. Oh, yeah, I remember. I know why. Because whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And I'm reading I'm like, Jesus, chill. <laughs> My gosh. In verse 48, they keep fighting. The Jews answered him. Are you ready? The Jews answered him. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Y'all, they just called Jesus a demon. And on top of that, if I had to give you context, when they called Jesus a Samaritan, they just called him the racial slur of all racial slurs. So they just called Jesus a racial slur. And on top of that, called him a demon. And then Jesus teaches us all how to take the high road when people come at us. And he says in verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. You just, you dishonor me. Now, I'm going to stop the story because they've been fighting so long, y'all probably forgot what the fight is about in the first place. <laughs> okay? So I want to circle back. I want to circle back to why this whole conversation popped off in the first place. So let's go back to the beginning. John 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed them, if you, y'all say it, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the, the truth and the truth will set you, come on Northside, and the truth will set you free. And so I decided to call our message today, the courage to be a disciple. And so, you know, many of us believe in Jesus, but we can't figure out why we can't get free. And so then as we begin to learn about Jesus, we, we have to wrestle with concepts of Christianity that we're teaching. And we begin to ask ourselves, what is really a disciple? 
And the longer I, 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 I fall in love with Jesus and I begin to pastor and care for people, I begin to wrestle with concepts like this and words like this. And for a person who grew up in church, I started to realize, well, shoot, if I'm struggling with the word disciple and how to live it out, surely people that are newer to their faith are struggling trying to figure out what this actually means to be a disciple. And so let's break down the word disciple, shall we? Okay, the word disciple has its root in the word discipline. Did y'all hear that? I cussed in church. <laughs> it has its root in the word discipline. So uh, over the summer, I led a small group on leadership. And uh, in about two weeks, it was people who were ready to step into leadership at church. And so about two weeks in, I decided to throw a curveball. And so we all came and sat down at Panera. And I was like, okay, everybody, here's the question. Is leadership discipleship? And everybody just sat there and looked at me. And they thought I was going to answer the question. Y'all thought I was going to answer the question. I didn't answer the question. No, we wrestled with that concept for three weeks in my small group. Is leadership discipleship? Is being a leader, being a disciple, is being a disciple, being a leader. And we struggle with that. And while I would love to answer you, if it took them three weeks, I'm not going to tell you today. <laughs> but what I will tell you is that being a disciple means being a learner. And so I've been in people development, in the people development world, world for about 10 years. Okay, higher ed, organizational development. I've been developing people for a long time. All right, and so about my third year in the higher ed, we moved to Springfield. We were living in St. Louis, and I start teaching at a college here in town. And I remember sitting at the desk of the associate dean of affairs, and we were sitting down and we were talking. And I'll never forget what she, the advice that she gave me early on when I started teaching. And she said, Brandon, education is the only commodity where people don't want what they pay for. <laughs> I was like, dang, okay. And so I've gone on to develop my own mantra that I say so often to people when this idea of learning something comes up and I have just come to say, yeah, you know, learning is hard. <laughs> Learning is hard, and I have been, I've been in teaching for about a decade, and it blows my mind that we will pay tens of thousands of dollars to learn something and still not choose to drop our sense of the truth to undergo the learning process to develop a new set of truths. It blows my mind, and in the same breath, I've never met somebody that goes, oh my gosh, I love failing. You got one or the other. And so what I've learned is that I've, I've, I've worked with so many people and I've learned so much from so many people. I started to learn the concept of the idea of studying versus learning. And I said, well, you can't really be that surprised when you didn't do well because you studied it, but you never learned it because you never did anything with it. And so the first time you sat down to do something with it was at the test. And so it was the first time you actually did something with what you learned. So you've been studying, but you never applied it. And learning is hard. So let's try again next time. And it is so uncommon for us today to consider ourselves disciples of anything that the word has somewhat fallen out of culture. 
And so if you're even familiar with the term, you know it in the context of Jesus. But discipleship is essentially associated with today what we would call mentorship. Okay? And so it's the idea of following a person that you have given great influence to, that you can gain wisdom from, to make you better. And so in the context when Jesus was teaching, they were disciples. These people were disciples of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and great rabbis. Okay? Now, y'all, I'm not a big sports guy. Okay? I don't know if that surprises anybody. I'm not a big sports guy. A lot of y'all like the St. Louis Chiefs. Okay, I'm just making sure everybody was with me, okay? I know it's the Kansas City Chiefs and the St. Louis Rams, okay? All right. Okay, I knew that one too. It's the L.A. Rams. See, y'all thought I didn't know what I was talking about, okay? I'm not really a big sports guy. What I have gotten into is archery. And for no other reason but to be petty today, all right, I would like to announce to all of the people at the Courageous Church that in my small group this uh, fall, all right, this is the golf tee that I split in half with my bow and arrow. And you know who didn't? Craig Scott at the North Campus. Happy birthday, Craig. I'm petty. I'm sorry. That, re that relates to absolutely nothing, okay? Okay, but, but football, football. Okay, so it, it is amazing to me that there are two, on a college campus, there are two groups of people that are unequivocally the most happy and excited and engaged group of people. The first set of people are athletes, football players, which blows my mind, okay? I would park in the parking garage and walk by the, the field, and it is cold, it is raining, and they are out there throwing themselves at each other for a practice hitting each other because they volunteered to do so. And they happy about it. They signed up to get yelled at by somebody who got veins popping out of the side of their head that if they weren't paid to do it, would probably get hotlines for child endangerment. I don't understand. But they so happy about it. They have signed up to play by the rules, and they get very little input into it. They will play by the rule book on a field that somebody else designed who has told them how many feet are in between each yard line, who have decided where the goalpost is going to do it, and you're going to play with the regulation ball. You're not going to bring your own ball. And as a matter of fact, you're either going to talk the way that they tell you to talk to each other, or you're going to get a penalty and you're going to get thrown out of the game. And people love to show up and do it just because. <laughs> and they love it. Now, the second group of people that I found are just extremely happy and engaged anywhere you go on a college campus are musicians. Same idea. Voluntary got in to conform to the teachings of the composer and the section leader and the band director, and they're going to do it, and they're going to get out on the field in the snow and in the rain and in the sleet with a smile on their face, and they're going to march to the cadence, and if they say A-flat, you better not play D. If they say we're in a major, you better not play in a minor. And they sign up for it, and they follow directions, and they absolutely love it. Okay, I saw this picture. I threw a last-minute picture to the team this morning. Put this picture. Um, look at this. Look at these. This is the Mizzou marching band after the Macy's Thanksgiving parade yesterday. They signed up to do that. And they loved it. And the post was like, oh, we can't wait to do it again. 
And so you can take it out. This process of learning something new often means we have to unlearn something old. And so discipleship always means that it will require you to give up something. And that's where most of us will draw the line. Because this idea of being a follower for most of us just means having the kind of Instagram feed that I've curated based on my own likes which has then curated the TikTok algorithm to show me what I like, what I'm going to do, and I'm going to follow that. Am I, am I hitting y'all yet? Because this is where we're about to get into the tension, because we can be a disciple of a lot of things, but today we're going to sit on the tension of being a disciple of Jesus. Because in the context that Jesus was teaching, discipleship had a heavy relational component to it. And so there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Megan and I have been married for 12 and a half years. When we were dating, I knew about Megan. Megan, I don't know where you at, but now I know Megan. I know you. I have learned my wife. There's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. And this was their problem when Jesus was teaching. Put verse 43 back up. Okay, okay, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you, why do you not understand what I say, Jesus asked. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You can't hear it because you are full of so much other stuff. And so the courage to be a disciple is going to require us to let go of our truths so that we can be set free. Because here's what's happened to us. Our truth has made us trapped. And see, that's a nice way to put it because Jesus would have said, your truth has you enslaved. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Anybody else sick of being a slave to your situation? Sick of being a slave to your feelings? Sick of being a slave to your 13-year-old dreams? Ma'am, so you are 31. Let Jesus rewrite your truth. That was just a dream when you were a kid. You were an adult. Let Jesus help you to re-renew your mind of his promises for your life. I am sick of being a slave to self-help books. Mm. Okay, okay, let me... Mm. Now, I get this one because... Here's the hard part of being a disciple. It's like, what do I do between the Sundays? What, like, what, what, do, I, what do I do? And so this is hard because what we're told to do <laughs> is read something like this. And the truth is, this self-help book is a whole lot easier to read. And so we seek after self-help books and people like Brene Brown, and I'm not mad at Brene Brown, or Tabitha Brown. If you like Tabitha, that's your business, honey, okay? But at the same time, I can't let a self-help book define what happy is for me when Jesus has decided what happy is for me. And, 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 and it's an easy read. This is a book I went and found it. I bought this book when I was, <laughs> I was on my sixth year in college. Okay, y'all mind your business, all right? <laughs> I bought this book when I was a sixth year in college, and it's called You Are What You Think. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, so many of my formative years were shaped by what this book told me to think about, and I knew all about Jesus in the Bible. And so the question I had to ask myself is, Brandon, do you have the courage to let some of this go? 
just because you believe something does not make it true. I can get up here and I can passionately and persuasively lie to you and my lie becomes your lid. And so I wonder if anybody is ready to be free from the lid of deception from the enemy today. Because as I was studying, Jesus was correcting believers. And so hear me that it's not enough just to say, I believe. Well, guess what? Demons believe too. They believe so much that they tremble at the name of Jesus. But guess what? At the end of the day, they still demons. So the question is, are you a disciple or are you a demon? Jesus said it, not me. But here's the problem with that. Sometimes our truth has an element of reality to it. That's what they did. They were like, my pastor is Abraham. They weren't lying. They were holding on to their truth. But Jesus said, my place have no words in you. So what does that mean for us? It means, number one, we're going to have to decide to make room in our heart, in our mind, that God is worthy to be trusted. Because you don't listen to a teacher that you don't trust. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, I got four things I want you to reset your mind to today. Now, Pastor Tyler shared these with our staff earlier this week, and I didn't even tell him I was going to use it. Appreciate your tea. All right. Um, I didn't even tell him I was going to use it, but they were so good. I was like, our whole church needs to hear this. So four things to reset your mind. Okay. And this is the part like, okay, so Jesus is talking about learning and stuff, right? So I'm asking you to take a picture, take some notes, write something down in the spirit of the message today. All right. Number one, reset your mind. God is great, so I don't have to be in control. I can trust Jesus. Because when you trust Jesus, you unlock the door to peace in your life. And when you unlock the door to peace in your life, joy comes naturally. And when you have joy, thankfulness is just an overflow from that. And when you are thankful, that thankfulness shows up into praise. And so if your worship is weak, maybe it's because you're too bound up carrying stuff that you've cultivated for yourself. And so remind yourself, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Okay? Number two. Are we putting these up? Did you get number one up there? I want to just make sure in case somebody takes a shot of it. Do we have it? God is great, so I don't have to be in control. No? Yes? Okay. All right. Let's go to the second one then. All right. God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. God is glorious. I don't have to fear others. What does that mean? He has his own street cred. I don't have to fear anybody. And because he is mine and I am his, he doesn't just want to show his glory to me. He wants to show his glory through me. So when I accept that Jesus and God is my truth, his glory follows me everywhere that I go. God is glorious. I don't have to fear anybody. The third truth. We all need to come to grips with God is good, y'all. I don't have to look anywhere else to be satisfied. God is good. I don't have to look for anywhere else for, for satisfaction. Some of us are so exhausted chasing after stuff that God said would chase us down. David reminded himself in the Psalms, sure, I wonder if I got any people who read the Bible, surely goodness and mercy shall, shall follow who? Shall follow who? Shall follow you. God is good, so I don't have to look anywhere else for satisfaction. And number four, God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself to anybody. 
God has forgiven me. His grace abounds. I don't have to prove myself to anybody. My weakness is my weakness. The Bible reminds me that in my weakness, I am made strong. I don't have to fake it until I make it. I'm already fearfully and wonderfully made. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. And so if these are the truths, if these are the truths, the question is, what do I do with it? I believe them. Now what do you have to do? Now you got to become. Now you have to become. And this is where most of us get stuck because this is where we got lies that begin to do stuff like this. And remember, I told you that, 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 that the enemy was a deceptive ventriloquist. And so we, we believe, and then we need to take a step. But then, you ready? ready? Like, <laughs> be careful. You didn't even notice what I said, did you? That's how deceptive the lie is. You believe, and then it goes, be careful. That doesn't sound like the enemy, does it? That sounds like me. Be careful, listen. You got a kid. You got jobs. You got, you got responsibilities. Like, you sure you're ready to give all of that up? Be careful. It sounds like us. And so this is, this is what I, I want you to get. Obedience is the only test you will ever take as a disciple of Christ. It's the only test as a disciple. Will we be obedient? And so when Jesus was teaching, what would they have to do if they were following him? What Jesus said, abide, that means they had to walk with him, they had to learn from him, and then they would act like him. So what does that mean for us? Okay, so I told you four truths to renew your mind. I'm going to give you four action steps to take to act like a disciple. To act like a disciple so the truth can set you free. And these are so easy. And here's the thing. Here's how deception works. These are so easy. I will tell them to you. You won't think anything about them because you'll go like, oh, yeah, that's easy. I know that already. It's not about if you know it. It's about if you do it. And so, number one, make prayer a priority. Talk to God. He loves to hear your voice. Some of y'all can't stand the way you listen to yourself when you hear yourself recorded on something. Jesus loves that for some reason. <laughs> Make prayer a priority. I remember when I had to start resetting my mind. I remember I was working in the hospital and things were so stressful. I was like three years into marriage. Me and Megan were doing it by ourselves. We didn't have any family around. I had a lot of jacked up thoughts, even though I grew up in church. I remember I had to set an alarm on my phone every hour to remind me of truths of the word of God because I had to renew my mind. You have to, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, make prayer a priority. And don't make it complicated. That's deception. Just talk to the man. <laughs> Number two, number two, read the Bible. This is the hard one because this is easier than this. Read the Bible. Y'all, uh, it is, oh, I'm going to sound so old when I say this. It is 2022, <laughs> all right? All of us can get the Bible on our phones. Anybody at the church, anybody on the dream team, I'm just going to throw you out. I'm believing that you can help somebody get the Bible app on their phone, Okay. Read one verse a day. It pops up and it gives, like, read the Bible. Be ye renewed by the transforming of your mind. Fact check scriptures that you see posted. They might be lies. That is our responsibility as disciples of Christ. 
Okay? First two, easy. Third one, don't stone me. Okay? Um, number three, step up and serve. Now, why is this important as being a disciple? Because what they would have had to do is drop everything to follow Jesus. I don't know if y'all know Jesus' mission statement, but it was to serve other people. So in order to be a disciple of Jesus, they were going to have to drop everything that they were doing and get on his mission to serve other people. It is important if you're going to commit. Again, this is for believers, okay? I'm not asking you to take 10,000 steps if you don't believe in Jesus yet, but the word is confrontational. The truth is confrontational. Step up and serve because it's what it looks like to be a disciple. When you invest in other people, you invest in God. When you invest in other people, you invest, especially in the local church, you invest in the, the concept of spiritual eternity for a generation of believers in the Ozarks. It is important. Okay, number four, last one. <clears throat> Y'all, I didn't come to fight, I promise. The last one, actively check yourself. Now, what do I mean by this? When Jesus died on the cross, he gave us the gift of his Holy Spirit. It is the invisible presence of God. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a helper. The Holy Spirit is to help you, not intimidate you. <laughs> he is gentle and he is kind. And those are actually parts of his character. And so part of being a disciple is checking yourself and being like, hey, am I kind? Am I patient? Am I loving? Am I good? Am I patient? Am I long-suffering? Like, do I have joy or am I grump? Check yourself before you. I was hoping And that's it, y'all. Like, class is over. <laughs> that's what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I just want to know, are there some people in the room, and don't fall in the group, think I want you to be honest, that you will just, just say, you know what, I believe in Jesus, but there's some things I got to do if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. Anybody courage enough? Anybody have the courage to be a disciple in the room today? Northside, anybody have the courage to say, there's some things I know I got to get together. I just got to shape it up if I'm going to be a disciple of Christ. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can like and subscribe. You can even share this on your social media. If you do, tag us at The Courageous Church and share what God is doing in your life. Always remember, God's calling you to be strong and very courageous in all that you do. I hope to see you soon. God bless.